I was like losing my head working our full-time job and doing this. So we kind of met in the middle and we launched a wait list for our pregnancy test, which is kind of funny to think about a wait list for a pregnancy test. But we did get, I think, like 500 signups on our wait list. And that was enough of an indicator that we weren't totally insane. Jamie Norwood and Cynthia Plotch are the co-founders of Styx, an online sexual and vaginal health company. What started as an idea based on a personal experience quickly turned into a vision and now a company rooted in providing women a convenient, discreet, and judgment-free way to get the health products they need. Tune in to hear how these friends turned co-founders have navigated fundraising and a fast-growing business. Coming up, how Jamie and Cynthia started Sticks while working their full-time jobs, their experience in a pitch competition, and how it led to their first angel investor. You'll hear the process to locate your ideal manufacturing partner for your business. And finally, why having a mentor is critical when growing your business. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Cynthia and Jamie, we are so excited to chat with the two of you today. We were just saying right before we were recording, we haven't sat down with co-founders in a while. And Courtney and I always love hearing co-founder stories. So I would love to ask you both first, how did the two of you meet and decide to get into business together? So Jamie and I met way back when in the summer of 2015, We did a fellowship together after college and spent a summer together in trainings. We ended up going our separate ways for a year and then eventually joined together on the founding team of Hungry Harvest. Jamie actually went first. She brought me over. I just followed Jamie everywhere, I think, in my career. It's working well so far. And we kind of would daydream about starting something together. Had no idea what that was going to be, though, until one day I was buying a pregnancy test and ran into my boyfriend's mom. And called Jamie, who at the time was my dear friend and dear coworker, in tears. And honestly, thus Sticks was born. Can you explain to everyone what the concept of Sticks is? Yeah. So we empower confident health decisions, and we do that by providing products for pregnancy, fertility, yeast infection, UTI. So basically, reproductive and vaginal health. And we do everything discreetly, judgment-free, and sex and health education is a really big part of our brand. So we have a platform called Real Talk, where we say we answer your most Google health questions. Jamie, what was your background prior to starting this business? And then, Cynthia, same question for you. Yeah. So, so like Cynthia mentioned, we met in 2015, and we actually just graduated college. So we both were going to work at startups. I worked at in customer experience and products, and Cynthia worked in marketing and growth. And we worked really closely together, always kind of were close work friends, loved working on projects with one another. So it was kind of a natural 
path for us to work on sticks. But because we were so young in our careers, we really had a lot of experience doing a lot of little things at that startup. But sticks is now the longest job both of us have had since we've been working, which is crazy. I just realized that that just happened. Spoken like a true Forbes 30 under 30. (laughs) (laughs) I had to plug it for you, James. <laughs> when did you start the business? In 2019, we started Sticks. Uh, we'd kind of been tinkering nights and weekends, a lot of late nights on Jamie's couch with a lot of sushi for a long time. But 2019 is when we really launched into market. At the time, we just had pregnancy tests. So it's been a, not a long time, even though I think sometimes it feels eternal and we've definitely come a long way. <laughs> Time flies, and especially since 2020. Did you both always know growing up that you wanted to have your own business one day? That's a great question. I think before I started Sticks, I would say no, and now I think I say yes. I don't know if I necessarily knew, okay, I want to start something from scratch. I think even maybe five years ago, I wasn't totally sure of that. But I always knew that when I loved something, I wanted to lead it, and I wanted to be a big part of its success, whether that was an activity I did, a group I was a part of, organizing my friends to go on vacation, or then in my professional experience, I knew that I I loved being at the helm. So maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I think I have a similar answer. I've always kind of been in, you know, like leadership positions and was always very ambitious with work and wanted to do something that I was really passionate about. But I, I don't think I like definitively knew that I wanted to start a company. I will say Cynthia and I met through a fellowship for like entrepreneurship. So I'd say like it was probably in the back of our minds somewhere because we were both drawn to that fellowship. But I think, Jamie, I feel like it's not that we wanted to start a company. It's that we wanted to start Sticks. That's like an important distinction in it. Yeah, I think that we both, I'll speak for you too, like loved being really early stage, our last jobs. Like we loved being on the founding team. I don't think we were like envious of the founders. I think like it's definitely not something that we, it's not like we were like, we have to found a company because it's very challenging. And I think we just like to like build stuff and be early. And it just so happened that now we're here. (laughs) (laughs) Take me back to the early days. So Cynthia, you have this experience and you realize You need to create these new pregnancy tests. You go to Jamie with this idea. Tell me what happens next and how you were able to take that aha moment and turn it into an actual business. What were some of those steps? Yeah, well, I think that whole story definitely gives me too much credit. I had no ideas by myself. I was just in shock and crying. And I called Jamie for like emotional support, not to say, hey, let's build a multi-million dollar business. Um, and it just so happened that, you know, we had always been passionate about this like concepts around health and wellness and you know, consumers and just like a better experience in dated parts of the world. And so all of that kind of coalesced into this aha moment when we were on the phone. How long were you working on sticks on the side of your full-time job before you decided to quit? Six months. What did you prepare and do during that six-month time period that made you feel comfortable taking that leap of faith? Yeah, that's a good question. We, the first three months, I'd say 
I don't even think we realized we were working on a business that we would pursue full time. We were kind of just exploring this idea. Like Cynthia mentioned, we did a big survey that we sent out to like everyone in our networks and asked them to send out to everyone in their networks to learn about pregnancy tests. We did interviews. And then I think we we really pursued it as like a hobby, but it wasn't until we started like researching suppliers and learning about like setting up our own Shopify store that we thought like, okay, maybe we could do this full time. And we got very, very lucky with this, but we did a pitch competition through the fellowship that we met during. Um, and it was like a kind of like random situation, like someone they a company that they had in the pitch competition dropped out. They knew we were working on this thing on the side. They invited us to pitch. And in that pitch competition, we met who ended up becoming our first angel investor. So when he expressed interest in investing, I think that was probably the first time that we were like, oh, we should really be serious about this. And we kind of just like faked it. And we were like, yeah, we're raising money. Like we have a lot of conviction behind this idea. And then we started working on it. I was ready to go full time. Like from that moment, I was like, okay, let's do it. And Cynthia was much more practical. And I was like losing my head working our full-time job and doing this. So we kind of met in the middle and we launched a wait list for our pregnancy test, which is kind of funny to think about a wait list for a pregnancy test. But we did get, I think like 500 signups on our wait list. And that was enough of an indicator that we weren't totally insane. Can you share more about the process for learning how to raise capital? So you go to this pitch competition, you meet this person who expressed interest, and then you shared that you had to fake that you were raising money, but now you had to actually go figure out what the heck you were going to do. So what were some of the steps you took? What was the process? How did you figure out how much money you needed to raise? Tell us all the things. Honestly, the most important inflection point in us learning how to raise capital was doing an accelerator. We did an accelerator in New York called Entrepreneurs Roundtable Accelerator or ERA. And we went into an accelerator knowing that there was a lot that we didn't know that we needed to know. We had no idea though what it was. And I think the most, I think, in addition to the community, the other most useful thing that we got out of that experience is learning how to fundraise, learning what the documents are and what evaluation means and how to think about it all and how to understand what we could and might even need. You know, we had talked to as many people as we possibly could before our investor, the other investor he introduced us to, other founders that we know. Jamie mentioned we did this entrepreneurial fellowship and that kind of gave us access to people who guided us. But definitely the accelerator was our inflection point. Where did you get everything manufactured and how did you figure out that process? It's funny because now Cynthia oversees supply chain, but at the time I did. Basically, we just Googled it. We were like <laughs> pregnancy test manufacturer and like we emailed a bunch of different places, asked for samples and worked with a really amazing person overseas who worked for a diagnostics manufacturer. We actually ended up working with them until like very, very recently. Um, and we had to switch to someone who can handle a little bit more, but they were our partners for years. So that was also like a very lucky partner. 
Any advice you can share about the process of deciding what type of manufacturer to work with, how to negotiate contracts? A lot of our entrepreneurs are, you know, thinking about starting businesses and in the process of, mm-hmm. of looking for these resources. So any tips you can share that would be yes. very helpful. Totally. I didn't do this at the time, but now reference calls are so, so important for any kind of partner, like whether it's a manufacturer of a physical product or a developer or really anyone, any kind of service, seeing who their clients are, doing some back channeling. Like, of course you can ask them for references, but I always find it helpful to like ask around your network and see if anyone knows of them. You can kind of save a lot of time and frustration that way. But really for manufacturers, responsiveness is such a big thing. Like, you know, someone might have the perfect product that you need or be able to help you in the perfect way. But if they don't respond to you for two weeks, like that's not going to work. So really like responsiveness and negotiating. I think that this is something Cynthia and I are pretty good at for, we just ask, you just like, like, I didn't know anything at the time. Now, of course, I'm much more strategic and we're much more strategic. But I remember she said the price that her prices. And I literally was like, okay, we could do half of that. Like I just start, I just throw out like a ridiculous number and the worst thing they can say is no. So. All right. I have two more here. One is, you know, we in the beginning had very little purchasing power, which meant our access to some of the products that we sell today was very limited, but we were able to lean on our network of other founders in the consumer space who had those relationships to be able to get more power through them. The other thing I will say is payment terms. Always negotiate your payment terms. I feel like it was the last thing we thought about for a long time. And now it's like my favorite thing in the world. What are ideal payment terms for you? Give me a net 60 and I am a happy lady. (laughs) Up next, you'll hear insights on how to navigate your fundraise. Cynthia and Jamie, you have both successfully raised a good amount of capital over the past couple of years. And there are so many members of our Entrepreneurs to Lead community that are thinking about raising capital and are currently in the process of raising capital. I would love if you could talk about your experience raising your raising your rounds and any learning lessons you can share, especially for founders that are just getting started in the process. I would say our capital history is one of resilience. That's probably like the theme here at Sticks overall is resilience. We'd love to talk about it. We think it's like the most important thing to embody as a founder. So when we raised our first real round of capital after that little bit that we had really lucked into, which by the way, ruined us for every other fundraising experience in the rest of our lives, but that's okay. We got something like 200 or 250 no's. It was awful. We had been successful in our academic lives. We had been successful in our early careers. We were never used to that scale and that magnitude of rejection. And we just kept going. Now, whether or not that was a smart thing, whether or not we should have taken a break really early on and focused on building some things, those are all great questions to ask. But I think the only reason that we got it done is we just didn't give up on it. We kept pushing through. We had conviction in what we were doing. And we ended up cobbling that first pre-seed round together through a lot of little checks, which is not ideal and not what anybody recommends, but you do what you got to do to build your business. Um, and that was that first round. Things definitely changed from there. 
it is hard for anybody to raise capital. It is harder for a woman to raise capital. Now we have are in a place of privilege, obviously being two white women, and that's important to acknowledge, but it's freaking hard. It is particularly hard when 99% of the time, the person sitting across the table from you has and will never experience the problem that you're trying to solve. That is a unique thing to building a women's health company. But by the time we went out to raise our seed, we had built enough traction to say, look at the data, look at the numbers. There's a problem here. And the national discourse around women's health had started to change. Hims had moved into hers. Modern fertility and NERCs were on the scene. People were starting to recognize, hey, maybe 51% of the population actually needs better care. So that second round of fundraising, we ran a great process, which is probably what the most important thing I can recommend to anybody who's raising, along with resilience, is making sure that you run a tight, strategic, and smart process. That is the only thing in the world that can actually put you in the driver's seat of fundraising. The third time around, which Steph, you obviously know quite well, we started raising a bridge kind of as the market was turning. So it was definitely an interesting time, not nearly as bad as the first, not nearly as wonderful as the second, but somewhere in between. But again, we ran a process, we stuck to it, we had conviction. And so we really combined this two things that we had learned before, the process and resilience to get it done. Can you explain what your process is and what does it mean to run a process? Yeah. Running a process means that you basically stack your fundraising conversations so that you're never only having one or two. You're basically constantly moving people through and filling your pipeline. So I like to think about it in terms of tranches. I will basically start 20 conversations either a week or every other week, depending on how the uptick of those conversations goes. There's a lot I could talk about in terms of how to even start a conversation, but that's how I basically think about the beginning, 20 at a time. And then I move people through my pipeline. So you have your first call, they request more materials, you have a second call and more materials, and then a partner call, and then I see, and then a term sheet. That's like the very general outline of what a process will look like. I always want to make sure not only am I filling the top of what that funnel is, but I'm keeping everybody moving all the way through. I don't have one person starting to pull ahead. That's really how you can get power in your conversations with other people. That's how you can get power in negotiating what your price looks like, what your valuation looks like, any other things that are important to you. It's really about having that competition between investors, which you get through a process. How did you learn this? Did you have a mentor? Yes. We really learned this through the accelerator that we did. We had an amazing mentor, shout out to Justin Smithline, he should listen to this, who I think every other word out of his mouth was probably process, but really guided us through that first fundraise experience. And even though it was miserable, as we love to talk about now, we had to kind of keep it tight and his support really helped us do that. And I just like his constant piece of advice and what we say too to anyone who asks is like, once you get that first yes, it's really so much easier. So the goal is obviously multiple term sheets and running the process like Cynthia was talking about is like to achieve that. So everything happens at the same time. It's kind of like hedging your bets. Yeah. Knocking your dominoes. When you reach out to investors, do you have special email templates or things you would say that would help to get you the meeting? Were you getting warm intros? What are some of the maybe tactics that were really working for you? Yeah, always warm intros. I have definitely done a little bit of cold outreach in my day, but warm, warm intros. There's even a hierarchy in how to think about an intro. Like an intro from one of your current investors doesn't mean very much. 
an intro from a founder in their portfolio means a whole ton. So that's definitely an important thing. We definitely had specific language that we would use and even modify it depending on the kind of investor we were talking to. But I think what's important about that is that we test a lot before we go to market. So we would have fake conversations with our current investors or friends who worked in investments or investors who did nothing even close to the consumer world, like deep tech investors, just to have some practice in what's our pitch? What's our story? What kind of questions are we asking? Make sure we're really tight. Make sure we know what people care about. And then even when we start, we took a couple of, we take a couple of real meetings with people who we don't think are particularly qualified just to really get our reps in. Yeah. We really like practiced so hard. It was like we were auditioning for something. Like yeah. every day we'd go over the pitch deck, we'd ask each other questions. Like, you know, now that we have a team and we're really building the business, we don't have really time for stuff like that anymore. But we would like, that was pretty much like what we did full time while it was just the two of us and we were raising our pre-seed. Yeah. Talk to us about the process of now building at your team. You've raised this capital now. You have the funds to go out and hire to scale the business. What are some learning lessons from building a growing business and team? Everyone says that's the hardest part. And I think I agree with that. It's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) But similar to fundraising, like, having a process, being really, really sure about what you need in your job description, really explicitly clear the stage of the business. We've had a couple situations where it didn't work out because we weren't as clear as we could be about how early stage we were. And it is really a specific skill set and a really specific kind of person that wants to join a company with two other people, three other people. So being very clear about that. I'd say with hiring early stage, and this is something we learned time and time again, like the specific background being relevant is much less important than like the attitude and the desire to work on something like this. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot you have to think about. It's like, can they do the job? Will they gel with the team? You know, are they going to be here for the long haul? Are they going to stick around? So really understanding like what motivates them. And making sure that that aligns with what we're looking for versus just can they do the job? Because even if they're the most perfect candidate for the job, but they're motivated by like job security and money, which is nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like, this is not going to be the best place. So we can't really <laughs> provide you that. <laughs> I think one yeah. thing that we're able to do now that we have a couple years and we have a team that Jamie does particularly well is we've like identified what makes somebody successful here. I think you could call that culture, but I think there's more to it than that. Like what, what does a person need to be to be successful? And then we're able to screen for those sorts of things, not just competencies. And that's really helpful. And I wish we had thought about that bit earlier. Cause I feel like that was a game changer. Yeah. You have to learn that though, through trial and error, I feel like, but, um, I, and we I couldn't agree more. You wouldn't know on day one what makes what it takes to be yeah. successful until you've had a little bit of success. But what are those qualities that you look for? For us at Sticks, we Cynthia and I sat down and kind of identified them. And I believe Cynthia, let me know if I might botch this, but ambition, curiosity, grit, grit. And 
um, there's, I don't remember oh. the exact, there's a word that we use to mean like, you can have fun. Like levity. levity or playfulness or something like that. Like perspective. Perspective. Yes. Thank you. An important thing about working at Sticks is that Jamie and I's relationship first was a friendship. And we literally start every day just like chatting on the phone about nothing having to do with work for 15 minutes. It's pretty adorable. But we love to enjoy not just the work that we do and what we're building, but who we're doing it with. So like in addition to wanting somebody and needing people who work really freaking hard and are really ambitious and smart and curious, we need people who are like down to have some fun. Yeah. And I think mixing that with ambition is like this, what makes Jix special because we like need people on the team who, when they hit a goal, this is like the big one that we've learned is like, when you hit a goal, the question needs to be like, okay, what's my next goal? It's not like, okay, cool. Like going to sign off because there's so much that needs to be done every single day. And another piece of advice I would give that I need to, we need to listen to ourselves is like when you're hiring and you need someone so desperately for a role, like you literally become, you will do anything to fill that role. And it's so important to slow down and really be 100% sure because we want to do everything really quickly and we've rushed things and it really is such an important, you know, this, you spend so much time with your coworkers. So we do have an amazing team. (laughs) We were always given the advice, hire slow, fire fast. Yeah. That's hard to follow. It really is. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely hard to follow for sure. I think that's like everyone's number one piece of advice. And yet it is so hard. So our advice is no, really do that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to learn more about your marketing strategies. How did you initially launch the brand and now flash forward a few years later, what are some of the things that that really work? Yeah, we launched the brand really like very bare bones. We haven't talked about this, but we didn't raise money until we already had the business going. So um, give or take like a couple very small angel investor checks. We didn't raise any institutional money until we were like a year plus into business. So we didn't really have a marketing budget to start. Um, we did things very organically. We focused a lot on content. And for us, that was health and sex education. And that's something that we still focus on and is still like very much where a lot of our traffic um, and brand awareness comes from. So we um, really made our whole brand about empowering confident health decisions. And that is through not just our products, but the content we put out into the world, the community we're building, and pretty much on all of our channels. Um, That's what you can go to Sticks for. So we talk a lot about sex ed, health education, our bodies, um, and just kind of push that out through all of our different channels. As the marketing landscape and like economic landscape has changed, we're really not relying on paid advertising anymore. And that obviously has its pros and cons. But the cool thing about that is you get to see like how your community kind of stands on its own. So that's the the gist. Yeah. Are there different tools or softwares or platforms that have worked for you or certain ones that you're using right now? Yes, we, so we're built on Shopify. So we're very much in the Shopify ecosystem. We've been using Klaviyo for email pretty much since day one. And we use Attentive for SMS. All of our life cycle is done on Klaviyo and Attentive and they've been wonderful. 
we use Peel. It's a BI tool. It sits on top of Shopify. We were the first customer. And so it was a very, very lightweight tool. Now it's very robust and cool, which we love. And we also use Heap for analytics and behavioral tracking. And that's been really important too. I feel like that's the big stuff. Yeah, those are the big ones. Are most of your sales through your Shopify site or are you in any retailers? So right now we partner with a lot of on-demand distributors. So GoPuff, soon to be Dashmark, Tier. We also sell on Amazon. We are not yet in store. So we're, depending on the month and who, what is going on in that specific month, you know, like when Resort happens, for, for example, and we launched our emergency contraception to coincide with the Dobbs decision and the whole world exploded and women's health came under question and under attack. That was a huge month for e-commerce. But in general, it's a pretty even split between the two. Did the two of you have backgrounds in marketing, direct-to-consumer marketing, branding before launching the business? So I had done growth and growth marketing before this. And we had built a direct-to-consumer business before in the produce space. So pretty different, but we had seen a lot of what goes into it. Yeah, I guess Cynthia worked in growth and I worked in product and customer experience. So neither one of us came from like a brand marketing background, but we've always been like very attentive consumers, I'd say. Like I've always been very into branding and like have been like a passionate and loyal customer for all the brands that I love. So I think that that just has helped us a lot. Um, and I think it also kind of worked to our advantage a little bit to not have that traditional marketing background because... Yeah. We didn't do a lot of the traditional marketing things from the get-go, and it it has allowed us to grow in a really unique way. Well, I have to say your branding is beautiful, and I actually have some of your products here right oh. now because I ordered them recently. I have your UTI test here, yes. uh, the yeast infection treatment, because last week, or maybe last week or the week before, I felt like... I had something coming on and I wanted to test for it. And then, oh, by the way, I always get real on this podcast and tell everyone, every, tell everyone everything. So I went online and I ordered it right away. And then actually the next day I felt totally fine. <laughs> so now I have everything here just in case. So next time Honestly, I have it ready yeah. to go. So I, so I don't have to run to the doctor. So <laughs> they're kind of fun. I recommend just like doing them just for the giggle. It's just once in a while. The worst feeling when you think something might be happening. And I actually, I do not ask me why it took me this long, but I just started taking our vaginal probiotic and it's just been great, like very steady. So I highly recommend the probiotic. I actually notice a difference. And back to your brand, which is why I pulled out your products to begin with. Your, Your branding is beautiful. I feel like it's just so attractive to look at, like compared to a lot of things you would see, you know, on shelf in a store, your traditional pregnancy tests or yeast infection treatment. It's just attractive to, to look at. And you just, I feel like you guys nailed it. Did you do it internally? Did you work with an agency? We've actually never worked with an agency for creative. So we yeah, our team worked on it. Um, we did a rebrand about a year ago and had a wonderful creative director who saw through the whole thing. So yeah, it was all us. And I think Jamie never gives herself enough credit when we talk about building the brand, because I think there's a couple of things that we did 
early and continue to do that were really smart. So Jamie mentioned that we launched the brand. It was very, very minimal at the time. And that's because we wanted to listen to the market and the customers and see what they wanted and resonated, what resonated with them. And that's where some of these early concepts of what the brand has become today really came from, is literally talking to customers. And that was all Jamie. So I think she never gives herself enough credit when she talks about it. Well, I love your dynamic and Stephanie and I always get asked this question and I'm going to ask it to you. How do you divide up your responsibilities and how has that evolved over time? It's really evolved. Like we've gone from being very, very divided. um, And I'd say like it's starting to shift again. So we're just like constantly in communication. But what we have done is the the company we've kind of split into what we'll call the vibes side. That's like brand product marketing. And then the money side, which is like finance operations, fundraising, um, growth. And Cynthia has been team money and I've been team vibes. But again, like now, you know, Cynthia is getting a lot more involved in digital stuff and I'm getting more involved in like planning and, and understanding the finances. So it's just kind of like a work in progress. I will also say, I think there's two really important things in that. One is like our communication. Like Jamie said, she literally started doing supply chain until somebody was like, you guys, that doesn't make any sense. Jamie's like, yeah, you didn't even question it. No, just, yeah. But I think, you know, through this experience, we've learned a lot about what our skills and our interests are and what we're both really drawn to. And thank goodness and I'm sure it was a bit on purpose that those happen to be very, very different things. I like truly don't have a creative bone in my body. I'm like the least pull up brand founder in the world. And Jamie is like, she like gets it. We love to say all the time versus I like give me a number and I'm very, very happy. And so I think it, it helps that we just are drawn in different ways. Yeah. We have very like, not like Cynthia was an economics major and I was an English major. And I think that like tells you what you need to know. <laughs> Coming up the importance of identifying your company values and the impact it can make when hiring. All right, Cynthia and Jamie, this is one of my favorite segments. We're going to ask you a few rapid fire questions to really get to know you. So the first word or words that come to your mind super fast. Are you ready? Cynthia, how would you describe Jamie in three words? Creative. Fast. And curious. Jamie, how would you describe Cynthia in three words? Ambitious. Competitive. (laughs) Fun. Hmm. (laughs) That was fun. Cynthia, coffee or tea? Coffee. Jamie, your favorite app on your phone that you cannot live without? Like Slack, I guess. I was gonna. I thought you were gonna say TikTok. <laughs> I changed my answer. TikTok. <laughs> Cynthia, what is the best business tool that has helped you grow your business? I have a kitschy answer, but it's having the right business partner. It's a good one. That Thank is a good tool. <laughs> She's a great business tool. My best. Tool. Yeah, and you're my you're officially tool. a tool. Business tool. tool. Um, I love Superhuman so much for email. Jamie, final rapid fire question. What is your hidden talent? Oh my God. Do I have one? Cynthia, what's Jamie's hidden talent? Ping pong. She's a ping pong star. Ping pong. (laughs) (laughs) 
was like, are you doing? Yeah, I'm a ping pong. We're going to go back to our regular questions now. Cynthia, I would love to hear more about how do you take care of yourself as a founder? It is, we all know, and all of our listeners know who are founders, it is not easy running a business. It is up and ups and downs every day, long hours, lots of pressure. What do you do to help take care of you? Yeah, a lot because I didn't for a while and then I sucked. <laughs> is maybe the nice way to put it. But the real way to put it is that it took a real, had a real impact on me and my body and my mental and my physical health and my relationships and like everything in my life. So because of that experience, the experience of realizing the extent that it could control my life if I let it, I learned how to prioritize like really taking care of all elements of myself. So I like to take care of my mind by letting myself think about things that are not just sticks by like reading books or thinking about topics or being like having curiosities and choosing to explore them. I like to take care of my body. I do yoga and I run sometimes not as much as I wish I did. Mm -hmm. And my mental health, I meditate, but I also do a lot of like maybe less woo woo things. Like I love therapy and Jamie and I have a coach who we love, who we see all the time. And, you know, SSRIs have an important place in my medicine cabinet. So I think I do a lot of different kinds of things to take care of my, all elements of my health, because the stress of being a founder, it's not just like, oh, I'm stressed. I can't sleep tonight. It really, it's tough out there. And Jamie, how do you take care of yourself? Yeah. Um, similar to Cynthia. I I carve out space to do things that I know will like calm me down. So I try to go to yoga a few times a week. I do therapy every week and I pretty much have been since we started sticks. Um, great. And then there are some little things that I, I do feel help. Like they help a lot because we're so constantly like, or I feel very constantly overstimulated by the business and working and it's just constantly creeping in my head. I try to go on walks without my headphones. So like I won't listen to music or podcasts. I'll literally just like be with my thoughts. And I feel like that's been really important for me because if I don't do that, I just like my brain is like constantly like I need time to just like exist. And I think we're both pretty regimented. I mean, not always, but we're pretty regimented about not working too many hours. So we'll both sign off at reasonable hours most of the time. Um, and like really unplug for our weekends, but yeah, it's hard. Definitely don't have the answer. I think part of it too, is just accepting that right now work is like the most, one of the most important things in my life. It won't always be that way, but it just is right now. And that's okay. (laughs) I was in this really, I didn't even tell you this about you about this yet, Jamie, but I was in this, I'm in this founder support group also. And I was talking about how like, I'm so stressed for work from work and it wakes me up in the middle of the night. And, you know, I know that it shouldn't do that. And I know all of these things and this should, and this should, and this should. And somebody like cut me off and they're like, Cynthia, of course this is happening. Like, what do you think? What do you think? Like, like this is, I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Like, it's just like Jamie said, like, I feel like accepting that it's hard and stressful and that I slept through the night last night for the first time in six months is like, it's okay. That's what our coach has said to me that really clicked for me. Like, cause I, I said something like her, like, I feel like on Monday morning, I have to like brace myself for the week. I'm like, Oh God, what's going to happen this week? And she was like, 
so on Monday mornings, you brace yourself. Like right now, it's just like really difficult and it's going to be, it won't always be, but it is like kind of signed up for this. (laughs) (laughs) A coach once said to me to, uh, when you find yourself saying, I have to do this and I have to do that, changing the word have to get. And then it just reminds you that you're choosing to do these things and you have the opportunity to do these things and you can change your mind if you wanted to. But really, this is the path that we all chose. So we get to do all these fun, hard things. And we learn from them and share stories like this and help everyone else who's just starting out or is currently where we all are in business and By sharing these stories and opportunities, everyone can learn and it can be a little bit easier for everyone else, right? I think so too. I think it's so important to talk about this is hard. It's really hard. It takes a toll. Like, and I don't think we knew what we were getting into. I don't think anybody does. If if we did, we wouldn't do it. And I think like, I think all the time about like, oh, like I would, I think I would do it again. Like, you know, after stick sells for multiple billions of dollars, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but next time it'll be so different. Cause I know so much, like, I think you have to have a level of naivety to do it all. But the more we can normalize talking about the grind and the struggle, I think it's good. Totally. It's why we started our Entrepreneurial League community so we could bring everyone together to share these stories and have that community and support and, and connection we, we need it. And Courtney and I, when we first started Socialfly, our first business, we were joining, you know, one group for networking, one group for marketing, one group for leadership, one group for coaching. We're like, we need to bring everything together and give all of these women access to everything under one roof. And that's why we're we're all here now and can help support everyone. The two of you are clearly a force to be reckoned with, and we are so excited to continue to follow all of the incredible things that you're going to do. And we're also excited, you know, Courtney and I are both personally invested in in your business and want to do whatever we can do to help spread the word and have everyone learn about Sticks and, and your company. Last question for both of you. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I think that I get to work, get to work on things that I care really deeply about and find a lot of like purpose and fulfillment through my work. Yeah. What Jamie said. Yeah. It means like getting to have a, like spend my life on something with meeting. Amazing. And having like, you know, yeah, no, that's it. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's it's incredible what the two of you have built in such a short period of time. And again, we are so excited to continue to support and follow everything that you're doing. But where can all of our listeners find you, follow you, and of course, buy all of your products? Yes, you can find us on all of the social media channels. Our handle is GetSticks, G-E-T-S-T-I-X. And our website is also getsticks.com. Thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurista's. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. 
you can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.